it's time for another episode of Long-Legged Beasties. I'm your host, Susan Arndt. With me, as always, is Brian Crescenti. Hi there. And this week, we have a special guest joining us from Orange, Australia, which I didn't even know that that was a town there, but apparently it is, uh, is Mr. Bernardo Rao. Hi. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure Very- to be here. Uh, super stoked to have you. Uh, yes. Bernie is the director of the unforgettable film Killer Sofa, which is exactly what it sounds like. And you, I just go, what? You just have to see. You just really need to see it. You just really do. It's it's very cheeky. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a sofa that kills people. And I love everything about that. Uh, this is Long Legged Beasties. It's the podcast or that puts horror movies in their proper place. Brian, what do we mean by that? Well, we mean that there are too many horror movies out there, uh, not to watch because we love horror movies, but to just call them horror movies. So what we've decided is that it's a good idea to give them some sort of subclassification. So what we do is we look at a horror movie, look at what's scary about it, whether it's scaring the audience or maybe scaring the, uh, the characters within the story, and then we break it down into one of seven categories. It's a creature gore, killer, paranormal, psychological, science, or nature. And then once we've done that, we come up with another category, a sub-sub-category. And that could be, I don't know, let's say it was uh, nature, and the sub-subcategory was disasters. That's a good example. Uh, So that's essentially what we're doing. We're, We're putting movies in boxes, in their proper place. Because we like to keep things orderly. Yes. Like neatness. And we do, the spreadsheet is real. Uh, it is an actual genuine spreadsheet that we fill in at the end of every show. And if you would like to play along at home, you can find the spreadsheet on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash longleggedbeasties. This week, we are doing a, a modern classic. I think it's fair to call it a modern classic. The yeah. Babadook, which even folks who don't, particularly get into horror movies. A lot of them have seen The Babadook because it, it, it came to such prominence. If you're, We're going to do a quick recap of the plot and then we'll, we'll get into the conversation. So uh, if you need a, a bit of a refresher, it's about uh, a young widow named Amelia. Her husband dies in a car accident while they're on the way for her to give birth to their son, Sam. So uh, she has been raising him by herself for he's six now. And he is what could be called a handful. He's uh, just a a holy terror, like a sweet kid. But like he's not Damien from The Omen or anything. But oh, gosh, he's a lot. And he's young. He's young Brian. Let's put it that way. Oh, dear. Oh, your mother. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I was terrible. Sorry. But yes. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Okay. Anyway, uh, so Amelia is, she is struggling. She is really just not doing great as a human. She's trying really, really, really hard to be a good mother, but he's just so much and she doesn't feel like she can turn to anybody for help. Uh. Then he suddenly has this children's book about the Babadook and it's freaking him out and she checks it out and it's about this tall guy in a top hat with 
big long claw fingers and he's having nightmares from having read this book and she says no wonder gets rid of the book strange things start happening around the house doors are closing by themselves there's noises the book suddenly reappears she rips up the book the book comes back she burns the book the book comes back uh she begins the the thing about the babadook uh the sam keeps telling her that uh, all these things that are happening it's the babadook doing it and as she's finding like glass in her food and uh, he's making weapons to fight it like he's got i mean to be fair this is pretty good craftsmanship for a six-year-old. He's got some skills. He's, He's got, got like a skills. little mini crossbow. It's pretty great, actually. <laughs> right? Like yeah. I anyway, but she's not she's not a big fan of of the weaponry that he's building to fight this creature uh, because it gets him uh, suspended from school. So uh, things continue to go downhill. Uh, Amelia is her condition is getting worse and worse and worse as things go on. She is having bad dreams. She's dreaming that she's killing the family dog. She's dreaming that she's killing her son and it continues in that vein. We'll trail off there and get into the ending. Yes. After we discuss the film a little bit. Um, A re so we need to tackle Sam straight off because he is the thing that keeps a lot of people from really getting into this film because he is, uh, he's, a, he's, he's just, he's practically feral, this child. He's yeah. so wild. And I, and I, I feel like the scene that everybody points to uh, as, as often when they turn the movie off is when he is just losing it in the backseat of the car. Yeah. 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 I guess it is so awful because you see him, from the point of view of, of Amelia, right? And um, mm-hmm. when you analyze what he's doing, he's not really awful. He's just being a kid. But but because you have the mother in such a state with the nerves just completely out of control and she's so tired, she can't sleep. And I think everybody identifies with that. You know, I don't mm-hmm. have kids, but I, I can just feel it, right? And yeah. it's just the power of empathy and the claustrophobia that you feel there and the touch, the way the kid touches the mother. And, uh, you know, it just, you just feel sorry for the woman. And, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. this moment of what is supposed to be the, the happiest day of her life, the day she's about to give birth to their child. Yeah. She loses her husband suddenly. So now those two things are emotionally linked and then, you know, she has to go home and, and, raise a baby while grieving like figuring out how to be alone as a as a person you know her partner is now gone but oh now there's this small person dependent on her to know what to do i i i do think that's it's so relatable and and it's just so much yeah Uh, it, you know what it makes what it makes me think of is uh, uh, there was a time they don't do them as much anymore. But I remember years ago there used to be these ads <clears throat> on TV where they talked about you know they would show a parent getting ready to lose it, 
And then another another adult would come in and say, you know, basically calm down. And the whole commercial was essentially like uh, this is sort of trivializing it, but it's like don't shake the baby. Right, it was like, right. you know, yeah. you need to. We understand how hard it can be, but you yeah. have to step back when that moment comes. And yeah. it's like yeah. to me, the Bab the Babadook is scary, the the creature, the Babadook. But what's scarier is the fact that you could see she's like right on the edge, and yeah. like. You know, I, as I alluded to earlier, I was a handful. I grew up, uh, I had ADHD, uh, dyslexia and dysgraphia. Uh, I was immensely hyper and I was probably very similar to this kid. And, you know, I think about that as an adult and like, man, I, I get it. Like having to just, you know, put up with it as an, an adult because you can't, you know, you can't get into a fight, a physical fight with your child. Mm. Um, and, and then, you know, as you guys both said, on top of that is the idea that they don't, um, she doesn't have any real, not only no support from her, uh, from a, uh, husband or a partner, but no support apparently from parents and yeah. her friends. She really only has one friend and her one friend is, is frankly a bit of an ass. I think, I mean, yeah. I agree. I get like when her daughter gets injured, but also, doesn't seem to have a lot of perspective on like what it's like to lose a loved one, you know? I guess what I love about this is about, you know, whoever, anybody that felt grief in their lives know, know that this happens and this is very real, which is when, when you lose someone and, and people give you a time to recover, right? Like, okay, it's been Mm -hmm. a year, right? So now things are okay. And, uh, and that's what I feel that happens here with her sister, Mm-hmm. Right. She's just she wants her her sister to move on. Right. And uh, she's not moving on, Amelia, because she can't. The grief stays with you. And that's the theme of the film. That's that. That's why this film is so brilliant. It's like that central idea that grief is here to stay. She will live with that all her life. And that goes until the end. Right. That's, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it's such an amazing job that uh, Jennifer did, like the f- first feature film. It's just so elegant and never goes away from that central theme right and um yeah i think that's what happens you know because the sister yeah she that's right i mean she i i I think she's not being a very good sister but i I also understand from her point of view because jennifer is trying really hard and and just makes everything awkward in a way you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but um yeah but something that's that's also this is also a, a film I feel like that as as you go through your life and you have more experiences, it develops layers. And something that I think is absolutely true that you said, Bernie, is that people give you a, a set amount of time that they're comfortable with you not being okay. And after that, it's just, look, you know, I, I, I just don't feel like dealing with your lack of happiness because it's just too uncomfortable for me. So I need you to be over it and normal again because it, yeah. it just I, – I don't feel like dealing with it. And that's, that's what I get from the sister because, like, okay, so what happens is that it's a birthday party. 
And Sam and his cousin, I guess it would be, uh, are up in a tree house. And uh, she, the, the little girl, is is being a jerk and, and bullying him and teasing him because he doesn't have a dad. So he shoves her out of the tree house, which I feel like is an appropriate six-year-old response to that. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, it's like, you know, I feel you, kid. I see where you're coming from. But she falls out of the tree house and she breaks her nose. Um, so that's, like, I get it. I get the sister being, because now her, her child has been hurt. It could have been much worse. She could have broken her skull. She could have, you know, that's, but that gives her then an excuse, I feel like, to... Okay, uh, now I have a reason I can I can flat out say I don't want to deal with you until you're better and I'm not the jerk. It's because I fear fear for my child. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it is interesting because again, you uh there is that's like one of I think one of the few moments in the entire movie where you get a clear sense of what it's like to be Sam. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. most of the movie is through seen essentially through the eyes of the mom. But this moment, no one's there except for these two kids. And he's like tragically, sadly sort of crushed, you know, sort of sitting in this corner of this treehouse trying to be away from everybody. He doesn't want to be in anybody's way. He even says, I think, to the uh, to his uh, cousin, you know, I'm, I'm I just want to be at, you know, I don't want to bother anybody. Exactly. And she's like confronted him she comes up and is in his face and so when he pushes her it like it unlike i think any other moment in the movie it's like well you know he didn't do anything wrong but it quickly snaps back to the perspective of the mom who has already dealt with him getting kicked out of school and screaming for no reason having temper tantrums and for her it's just one more thing and it's like and it's it it is it's so powerful that scene it's like one of the most important beats in the scene because it's the first time we actually see Amelia snapping back, right? Like, until then, she's been very passive. She mm-hmm. she always smiles. But when that blonde woman says the thing about this advantage woman, that she oh, right. visit, oh, man, that's such a delicious scene. Because she's thinking <laughs> and the other woman is like, oh, I cannot go to the gym anymore. And she's like, oh, yeah. you can't go to the gym. You know, like... It's yeah. such an amazing scene. And then we start to, re- that's when I started empathizing with the kid, I, I, I guess, because understanding the kid, you're, you're right, Brian. We see the kid in the corner. He doesn't want to do anything. He just wants to be alone. And the other kid goes there just to, you know, just get out of here. This is my tree house, you know. And um, yeah, and that's when the madness starts becoming more apparent in a in a mm-hmm. media. And that's where the horror comes when you start realizing, oh, the kid might be in danger. You know, that's and that's where, where it starts there. I think it's about 20, 28 minutes in. Maybe it's the beginning of second act, right? Yep. Act two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, the, the other thing that really works so well with this movie is how claustrophobic that house feels. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Open I mean, a window, woman. Jeez. I know. And it's funny because like <laughs> yes. there are moments, there are not a ton of moments, but there are moments outside the house. But when I think about back about it, and I think when most people think back about the movie, the only thing they remember are the scenes in the house because mm-hmm. it, it feels like the whole movie is in that house. And it is like this, they're like, you know, they're just stuck together. And 
you you immediately start to feel the sort of sense of overwhelming uh like just claustrophobia that I'm sure the mom is feeling as she's starting to sort of uh, struggle with this inner anger that she feels towards her her son, which is mm-hmm. also again a tragic theme that they do so well with. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and the thing is, it, 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 this as a metaphor, this whole movie works so brilliantly because and and kids are sponges, right? Kids pick up so much that you don't even realize that you're putting out there, and Sam has to know that his mom has these negative feelings about him. She, he, he doesn't have a dad. Uh, so it's just him and her. So the one person who's most important in his life doesn't like him. Yeah. And that's heartbreaking. And so he is, 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 I mean, he's a kid. There's only, he has only so much agency in his world. So he does the things that he can do to push back. You know, he has temper tantrums. He makes weapons because that's the most overt. Like if there's something that's trying to hurt you, you hurt it back. So you make a weapon. He pushes a bully. He's, he's doing all these things to try to push back against all of this stuff that is is coming down on him and the fact that he's being such a a little nightmare i think distracts adults from seeing what a what a poor situation this kid is in adults in the audience i mean because at the beginning you are with the mother, right? You you are yep. on the side of the mother. But when you start realizing that the kid was right, and in the mm-hmm. end, the kid actually has an amazing insight, right? When he actually ties down the mother and he says, it's not you, it's the Babadook won't let you love me. This is an amazing insight for a six-year-old, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. But I uh, love you and I, I'll always will. Man, this is like, wow. And it's, so, it's so heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And that's when the healing starts, right? Even yep. for the mother. But that's what I love. The kid was always right with the weapons and the stuff. We just didn't know, right? We, we yeah. will learn later. Yeah. I, I love the scenes where he is stroking his mother's cheek. It is, especially, I think there's that scene where she's choking him and he does that. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God. It just, you just want to, you just want to turn into a puddle of tears. Exactly. <laughs> Because what can he do? You know, he cannot slap the mother. You know, it's it, it's amazing. It's just the only thing he could do. It's so, yeah, it's, you know, treat it with love. Fight it with love, right? It's Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so the book is obviously the, the focal point of right. this, this Babadook. And, and we get visions of the Babadook in the house. You know, I think there's one scene where he's, it's on the ceiling and like they're hiding under the covers and, and it's in oh, the man. room. And, and Sam keeps blaming all of the bad things uh, on the Babadook. Do we agree that she wrote the book? I, uh, hmm, that's a, you know, that's a really good question. I, I, it, one of the things this is sort of in the same line you know, how much of this is meant to be metaphorical and how mm-hmm. much of it, like, does the book exist? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
you know, it because obviously there's some line where like is is there if you if you follow the lines of the metaphor, is he really seeing the Babadook or is he just calling it the Babadook because he can't face the fact that his the part of his mom hates him? And like yeah, so like, does the book exist? Does the Babadook exist? Or all are these all explanations that his mind has come up with to basically explain away something that he just doesn't want to face directly? Yeah. Okay. I have answers for that, but I want to hear what Bernie thinks. <laughs> for me, to be honest, I never questioned why the book. It, it's it's not a um, a rational thing for me. You know, the book is there, and it's it's magic, right? It's a supernatural entity. But then. I was actually reading about Jennifer Kent and, uh, you know, how she directed the film. And then some, some, I, I read a line that about that. Yeah. I, she wrote the, the, the book because at some point in the movie, yes, she says something about, I'm a writer. Yes. And she I says she writes children's kids. books. Oh but my I God. Never, I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. She says that when she's talking at the birthday party, she's like, Oh, right. you're a writer. And she's like, yeah, I write articles and stuff for kids. Yep. But I yeah. never, to be honest, I watched this movie maybe four times and I never questioned it. It's like the book, it's like a metaphor. It's like maybe it doesn't exist, right? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Okay. I okay. So when she goes to the cops yeah. to talk about like, okay, there's, there's this thing threatening us. Yeah. The, uh, this is after the book has suddenly reappeared. It's suddenly reconstituted. The book is back. Yeah. So the drawings of of the Babadook are all they're sort of charcoal, sort of uh, right. you know, kind of blurry. And if you look at the fingers on her hand, they're dirty. Oh, right. Dirty, yeah. She had burned the. She was burning the book, wasn't she? Because then she says to the cops, "Oh, where?" They ask, "Where is the book?" And she says, "I have burned it." So that's why I assume. But yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Maybe she was drawing the thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I'm I'm absolutely convinced that she. I don't know why she makes this book, but she makes this book. Maybe that's her trying to make sense of. Because here's the thing: when when you're dealing with a mental illness. You know it's there often, but you don't know what because you can't separate it. You have to sort of separate it in your head to be able to deal with it. It's so just that's the illness not... manifesting itself, right? Yeah. So yeah. It yeah. just wants to come out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I, I think that the book is real, but I think it is a metaphor she comes up with that Sam adopts. And then everything that happens after that is all just metaphorical. That's uh, that's amazing. So I, I remember her saying she was a writer and I remember the the fact that her fingers were black. I had never put together those ideas into the idea that she created the book. But I, now that you've expressed that, I love it. I think that's amazing. Yeah. I, yeah. I probably should do. <laughs> um, so I, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the Babadook itself because I think uh, it, the way it's presented in the movie is in terms of effects is just amazing. It's um, so I was, yeah. I was reading up on it as well. And it looks like what they did, they essentially used stop animation and then smoothed it 
which is why it looks oh, interesting. Yeah, because it doesn't look like stop animation, but it's got a weird the way it moves and looks is very strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's amazing, which I I should have spotted, but it never dawned on me, is that the Baba Duke is actually designed to look like uh, Lon Chaney's Man in the Beaver Hat from a movie called London After Midnight. Man um, in the Beaver. So this hat. is a an old nineteen twenty seven. Um, silent mystery film oh my gosh where, i just yeah, looked he, i just looked it up and like yeah he looks exactly other than the fingernails obviously he's a guy in a beaver hat he's got pointy teeth he's got big rings around his eyes pale face um it's amazing uh that he looks like that i love how unsettling the babadook is what it looks like um mostly because it's not you know overtly you know, a werewolf or something. It's this sort of a weird looking person who's just too tall and has, you know, weird fingers. And I don't think he even has sharp teeth. In no, the there's maybe too many teeth, but yeah. they're just, and they're like blackened yeah. with charcoal or something. But um, man, I love the design. It is so creepy. I think one of the creepiest scenes in the movie is when she sees the Babadook in her neighbor's house. That always creeped me out. He's like yeah, he's like looming in the background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always got some Nosferatu vibes from the Babadook. Maybe it's because of the pointy yeah. fingers and the way he doesn't move his arms. It, they're always like stretched. Yeah, yeah. kind of tall and and thin. Yeah, but what makes me what makes it scary for me is that kind of insectoid behavior that the Babadook has, right? And the sounds oh. are very insectoid. Ooh. Yeah. It's like that movie from Guillermo del Toro. I think uh, I don't. I don't remember the name. Mimic, maybe. Oh, mimic, like, yeah. Oh, I this, love mimic. This insect that you know, like mimics people. It's like, uh, and that always, you know, that that makes it so scary for me. It's something that's in the shadows, and that suddenly doesn't move, but moves very fast, like a cockroach almost, like, and it's, uh, you know, it's yeah. I I love that it's just human enough just human enough exactly you know like it's wearing clothes exactly in a hat man. And, yeah. and and a freaking a hat yeah <laughs> so yeah. It, it's I, funny i um when you talk about the uh, the insect like movement um I can't for the life of me remember the name of this short story, but I, uh, my wife's Australian. So I, I've done a lot of trips to Australia. And one of my times there, I bought this collection of like classic, I'm air quoting classic, classic Australian short stories. And one of them was this short story about, uh, I don't remember all the details, but it was basically this kid and these bugs that kept appearing in his, in his bed. Um, and, and, And something about it, like it makes me feel like, there is sort of inherently in the core of like Australian culture, a sort of horror around bugs. Um, Do you think that's fair to say? I I think so, man. It's like just yesterday we had a a huge spider here and we had to deal with it. It's like a wolf spider. This is like, (laughs) Oh oh, man, I've seen it. It's not, it won't kill you, but if it bites you, it's going to be painful. And oh God! I, my partner didn't want to deal with it. I had to deal. I had to go grab a cup and then slide uh, a, a paper, but uh, underneath the cup just to put the spider outside, right? But yes, uh, you know, Australia. You've been here. There's a lot of snakes and spiders and things like that. That 
are quite, uh, you know, horrific. Yeah, yeah I think the huntsmen, the huntsmen are the things that are completely <laughs> nice but huge. They won't kill you unless you have a heart attack when you see them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't do well with bugs. I don't. Yeah. <sighs> But it's like, it's, it's interesting that, you know, as a movie, obviously it was shot in Australia, made by an Australian director and written by an Australian, uh, um, it it does have that, a feel to me, like I, I, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I, that insect like movement did feel very much Australian to me. Yeah. Mm. For me, it, it, it feels very, both in the, in the look of it it feels very primal to me, like very has always been here, will always be here, just sort of a very uh, part of the fabric of the universe kind of force of nature feel mm-hmm. to it, as opposed to, you know, like a, like a vampire or a ghost or a, or a, a creature that is, is dealing with you people it's very much more, this is just, this is a powerful, it's not even an entity, really. That's just, I just feel like the Babadook is, like, he's, it's showing up as this guy in the hat, but it yeah. really is just this monumental power as yeah. opposed to a thing. Like, I don't, if a vampire shows up, you expose it to satellite or you, or you stick it in the heart or something, you know, a werewolf, you shoot it with a silver bullet. I don't feel like, what do you do to the Babadook? What are you going to hit it with a baseball bat? Well, and and exactly. that's a, that's the thing. Like the design and what you're saying, Susan, speaks so clearly to the fact that it's meant to be this sort of manifestation of the lead character's grief. Like mm-hmm. you can't you can't kill grief. Right. You can't shoo it away. You have to embrace it. And that's sort of, you know, that's how the movie ends. She can't get rid of it. She has to just deal with it. And that's just, you know, that's life, unfortunately. Yeah, that makes it a lot more horrific when it's uh, something you cannot kill. You have to deal and you have to live with it, right? And uh, yes, the ending, when when she they're, they're collecting worms to give to the Babadook. This is awful, but in a way... They're all very accepting of it, you know. It's and you feel they are at peace, and um, yeah, yeah. But you're right about that. It's larger than all of us, and it's it's terrifying because of that. You know, you cannot escape it. I've I've had to. There are people who take the movie just on the surface that this is a monster and it's in the house and it's it's tormenting these people for whatever reason. So then, why does it? live in the basement at the end and i try to explain to them like mm, no it's not just a yeah. ah. um <laughs> although my my personal and i guess my personal interpretation has always been uh the baba duke is representative of her uh mental illness her depression although that could also be grief uh, thinking about, I never thought of it as her grief, but that is also completely valid. But yeah, like then it when you when you think of it that way and start backtracking, it's such a beautiful and elegant representation of what this does to you if you let this thing 
if you let it in and you try to fight it, it's just going to get bigger and more powerful and it's yep. going to wreck your life. Yeah. And it's going to hurt everyone you love. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I, I agree with you, Susan, that like, I think Bernie, you were the one who said the thing about grief. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I can't remember. One of you did. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I hadn't initially thought about that, but like the more I think about it, you're right, Susan, that it is such a beautiful metaphor for that because it is like, that's the thing. So not to get, well, this is kind of getting super personal. My, um, my brother's daughter was killed when she was uh, 18. She was murdered. Um, and my brother, you know, this was, gosh, uh, this is a long time ago. This is 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. He still lives with his Baba Duke. And like, mm-hmm. I don't think he's gotten to the point where the Baba Duke's in the basement. And I think, so when you watch this movie, I think people who know people or personally have dealt with some sort of tragic death, you really understand like, yeah. And like, as you said, Bernie, that moment, uh, both the moment with those women uh, sort of all sitting down and talking about how hard their life is and then talking (laughs) about not, not being able to exercise and like this notion that like she's given one year, it's like, it's been a year, get over it. And it's like, no, like, no, you will never, ever, ever get, get over it. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, and I think I've not seen another movie that deals with that more elegantly than this movie. Yes. Yeah, like, like Jennifer says in an interview, I saw that she built the movie around that central idea and all the other ideas are related to that central idea of grief that she, she hasn't over, you know, it's about letting go. I mean, there are mm-hmm. so many movies about that, but this one does it. You know, it's so good to see for a filmmaker. It's it's very, you know, uh, inspiring really to see something so well done. Because yeah, we've we've all seen movies about letting go that are really cheesy or really awful, right? Yeah. And this one is just it's just brilliant. Yeah. Is there? I, I could be misremembering. Is there not a scene where she won't let Sam? either either talk about his dad or touch his dad's stuff. Yeah, it's so he's in the basement doing the magic show. Mm-hmm. Also another another moment and another one of the few moments where we see him on his own and he's performing for a picture of his mom and dad and then a bunch of stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. And she hears him down there, catches him and she's like angry because he, he's messing with all this stuff and I think he says something like you can't keep him from me or you don't own him he's my dad too mm-hmm. or he's you know he's my dad but she's basically saying don't touch his stuff you know it's my stuff and she's angry uh, and then of course later on lo and behold that photo is found in her bedroom and like it's all colored in and there's like horns on her or something like that but it's been it's been graffitied mm-hmm. um, and she's upset about it so yeah there is this thing where she's basically not only is she dealing with the grief she's like jealously holding on to this man and not letting her son have a relationship with him, even though, you know, obviously he's dead, but like know who he is. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about how she, you know, continuing the the theme of grief and how people try to avoid processing it. The thing is when you, when you lose someone, you see them everywhere. You see, oh, that, you know, we went to that movie theater. We used to go to that restaurant. 
Right. You know, all, all that thing. And you can't avoid that. You can't help that. You had a life with this person and therefore everyday aspects of your life are going to remind you of that person because you lived everyday life with them. And I, I feel like she and a, and a lot of people who deal with loss, if I just don't see it, <laughs> if I'm not reminded of it. Right. Yeah. I'll start to feel better. Yeah. The problem it, it's with is that she, sorry, right. No, uh, go ahead. She, she refuses to, to even talk about the husband, right? Yeah. At the beginning, yep. she always, you know, there's a scene in the supermarket where the kid just says very, you know, like to, to some woman that, oh yeah, my dad died. She's in the, he's in the cemetery. We were, you know, driving to the hospital and he died when the day I was born. And then you see like the look of Amelia, right? It's like, oh, mm -hmm. what are you doing? You know, like very, very, you know, hurt by, by what the kid said. And the other woman tries to deflate, right? She says, oh, but mm -hmm. she's, oh, she's very lucky to have you. And that's a delicious moment. That's, a, that's such an amazing cut where we cut to Amelia's face. And, and there's no blood there. There's like lucky, you know, because she, yeah. she hates the yeah. kid, right? But she just loses the smile. She doesn't even try to pretend anymore. It's, it's yeah. that obvious. And, um, yeah. It's interesting because they, at the, at the end of the movie, after the major confrontation and the wrap up, he, doesn't he say the same thing to somebody? Or yeah, there's. She, she talks about it. She says, yep, that's what happened. You know, like very, very, yeah. you know, she said, yeah ease with the thing and it, yeah yeah just before that it's amazing that the babadook when he escapes and there's that amazing shot where, where it's like a point of view shot where amelia looks straight at the camera right when the babadook starts flying around going crazy and the babadook of course he goes to the only place where where it where he needs to be which is the basement right where, where the, all the stuff is from the husband mm -hmm. Of yeah. course, man. That's where the husband lives, and she has to deal with that. The loss yeah. of husband, you know. Yeah, that's great. It's funny, again, uh, as we're talking about it, realizing there's that other layer, that other facet of, like, of course that's where the Babadook ends up. Because yeah. that's where she locked away, you know, with the key, had locked away all of the possessions of her husband. So that's where her grief is. That's where her grief lives. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I wish, it's, it's a, a corny thing to say, but I wish... They'd come up with something better than feeding it worms because, like, I don't, you know, it's fine, but there's no sort of metaphor there that, like, that works with. Um, yeah. It's a bit of a change of tone, right? Like, that last scene, it, it's a, you know, I think it still works. It works because it, it goes into this fantasy world where they're in together and there's a rose that's black, right? Because obviously the Babadook lives in the basement and maybe all the, the bad stuff is coming out through the garden and she's there doing gardening and there's this this black rose. And it's, you know, it's it goes into another territory, but it's okay because it's the coda, right? The movie is finished by then, right? This is just their new reality. But you're right. I mean, but yeah, I know why they did it because she needs to go to the basement, right? And, and yeah, feeding worms... It's a bit strange, but um, thinking the, as a, you know, if I was directing that scene, what could you do and writing that? I'm, yeah, I don't know. 
that's a good is it the is it that it's worms or that she's feeding it at all that bothers you for me it's the worms because it like the the idea that she's feeding it um like i get that it is a little interesting because it's like she's nurturing her grief um and maybe that's because that she understands it's part of her. So I like mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. works, but the fact that it's worms is like, I, yeah, I don't uh, uh, like uh, Bernie said, I'm not sure what would work better. Yeah. Like, I don't know what food you would feed your grief. Uh, and I get it. Like it's kind of cool because the worms are coming out of the garden that she's tending and her son right. is helping gather the worms. So I guess that works, but it was just a little, a tiny bit weird. I think what what makes it the worms work there is, is, is her reaction to the worms because you can see repulsion in her face when she sees insects in her place. I think she sees some cockroaches, right? Yeah. And she's all very tense and very, you know, disturbed by it. But then in the worms, she's very, you know, very gentle. She puts the worms there and she she doesn't have repulsion by it. She's not repulsed by it, right? And I, I guess Babadook needs to eat, right? So I, I guess something like the Babadook, you know, it's something that lives there and lives meaning it needs to feed. And if right. it's not feeding on pain or grief anymore, I guess worms, worms will do. I mean, if you yeah. want to extend the metaphor uh, a little bit further, worms are gross. Worms are not pleasant, but you absolutely have to have them for your beautiful garden to grow. Worms yeah. are if, if you have soil without because they aerate and they do all these they make nice rich fertile soil for beautiful things to grow in, and I think that's probably the thought there that grief grief is ugly grief hurts it's painful it's it's the thing that lives in the basement but it's still part of you and from that you have to try and grow and go on and, and do positive, happy, for want of a better word, things with your life. You Otherwise it's the, it's flying around your ceiling and you're hiding under the covers. You know, you have to, you have to go bloom and yeah. to do that, you know, yeah. get it some yeah. worms. If you want yeah, stuff I, to grow in your garden, you you need worms. And you exactly. Live with them. Yeah, that's I, that's very well put, Susan. I think that's great. Um, I you know it's interesting. Uh, have either of you seen The Nightingale, which was Jennifer Kent's second film, the film after she did Babadook? Mm-mm, I have not. I saw I saw the trailer. I remember wanting to watch it, but I I don't really like uh, revenge films. It's really yeah. not my thing, but. I'm sure it's amazing. Yeah, it's it is amazing. It's also a movie. Um, I think I suggested it at some point, like a year or two ago. When did it come out? It came out in 2018. So I suggested it a year or two ago. It's the only time I've ever given a trigger warning to people because oh. it's oh yeah, it's intense it's and intense. there's uh, sexual assaults and like it's. Mm. Uh, but it's it's. Uh, I I only bring it up because. Um, it's very clear that Jennifer Kent knows how to make powerful, evocative movies. Like it's so unlike the Babadook on some level, but it's also so like it because it deals with this incredibly 
intense. It's about it's about a uh, the um, p- uh, the early days of Australia in 1825. Uh, so when it was still a, a penal colony, um, mm. uh-huh. and yeah, but it is. Oh my gosh, I highly recommend it. Again, be warned. Uh, there are some scenes that are very troubling uh, in the movie. No, she. Baba Duke, if you remove the the monster, it's a it's a really it's a drama. This could be Ken Loach. Yeah, might be your. You know, this is a very very intense drama, and she knows how to deal with this stuff. You know, and I yeah. don't think this movie could have been directed by a man, to be honest. No, there's so no. many things here that are so specific to what it's like to being a woman taking care of a child like this. You know, I think she was, you know, she was perfect for this. I mean. But this came from. Did you guys see her monster? Her short film. The short film. No, I've no. I've heard about it. I know that it's supposed to. I guess she's called it the Babadook Junior. Yeah. I really want to go watch it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it it is. The, this is it. And I remember watching that many many years ago when it became this sensation, right? And then I I read that uh, she was like uh, she was making the Babadook version of that movie. Oh, okay. A feature from the short. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, man, wh- where can she take this? Because it's just about the monster, and then it ends with her feeding the monster. Sorry about the spoiler, but uh, <laughs> it, but it's brilliant. It's very short, and it's it just works very well, right? And then she completely, man, you know, blew everybody's minds with this because she took it. Yeah, this is the only way she could have done it, right? To extend that six minute short into a a 90 minute feature is very, very well done. You know? Yeah. I think you're absolutely right though, that it, it had to, it had to have a woman do it because it's so intrinsically tied to motherhood yeah, and guilt. It's her fault. They were in the car and, and, the car crash that took her husband's life. It was her fault because she was the one in labor. She was having a baby. Never mind the fact that he was, you know, he had some part to play in her being pregnant as well, but doesn't matter. It's her fault that they were in the car. Mm. She's supposed to love her kid and she doesn't. And so she's a failure as a mother. It's, it's these feelings and, and guilts and pressures that are so unique to being a mother that a, a woman had to do this film. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that the um, the the other sort of through line is, as you just mentioned, Susan, the nature of motherhood and like what is you know supposedly what all mothers should feel and do. Yeah, and maybe not all mothers do feel and do. There are times where mothers maybe hate their kids and like there are absolutely times when mothers hate their children. <laughs> and no, like because yeah, you so know what they're human and right. sometimes your kids are jerks. Right. And I think that dealing with that, uh, yeah, man, this is, I, I could just go on. I, I, we were both, we've both been, or all three of us have been doing this now, but like, man, what a great movie. There's so many levels, so many facets to it. Uh, and then to do all that and do it in a, in the context of horror, um, and, and in so doing sort of change the way, like the ending is very unhorror movie. Like you don't end a movie with the, the bad guy being nurtured. Like that's not not normal for a horror movie, um, so yeah, it's just such a good movie. Yeah, I remember I thinking really, when I was watching okay. the movie, I got some hereditary vibes here. 
There's a lot oh, of sure. yeah. imagery, like when she, she sees the husband and the husband loses his head somehow, he gets cut. Oh, yeah. Know, man, this is so, you know, maybe Hereditary get, got some inspiration from this. And even the creature, the way the mother at some point snaps and, and just becomes the Baba Duke and goes mm-hmm. up to yeah. the kid, running through the stairs, you know. Um, yeah. Which is a great moment because it's the first time we actually see Amelia's face without the grief or anger. It's just pure drive and pure lust for blood. You know? Yeah. Like, it's the first time we don't see her tired, right? She's yep. like, oh, I'm going to get you. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I, you know what I love also? I love, it's a tiny little scene. She's watching TV and is falling asleep and sees a news report basically of her killing her son with a knife and then the being future, shot and killed. Right? Yes. Man. Yeah. And I, it's like, oh, man, that's chilling. I mean, though, I think she also sees herself in the window, which is weird. So it's like she's watching – a part of her is watching this unfold uh, yeah. while she watches it unfold. It's so meta. But it's like, again, oh, my gosh, what a brilliant movie. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So what about categories, though? I, you know what I'm thinking, Susan? Oh, oh God. <laughs> yes. Brian wants to make literally every movie we do psychological. Every single one. Psychological. I guess. Except but, in, in this case, he's he's right. Because it I is psychological. Be right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yes. Because it is all in her head. Basically. Yeah. It's her inner struggle. It's her inner. Yeah. yeah. Um, though, uh, so uh, this is what I was thinking. There are two perspectives here. There's the perspective of her, the mom, mm-hmm. but there's also the perspective of the son. Hmm. So from his perspective, he has invented the Baba Duke because he can't, I'm assuming, he can't deal with the fact that his mother wants to kill him. And I mean, that's, so, a, that's a big ask. Let's be fair. You know? Right. Right. And so from his perspective, the Baba Duke is this evil entity that has is taking control of his mom and making her want to hurt him. Yep. So that part would not be psychological Uh, from her perspective. It totally is. Yeah. From his perspective, it's like she's possessed. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) From the kid's perspective. I mean, well, no, not possessed because the Babadook is making her do it. So it's not like, yeah, he, well, so uh, he – I can't remember. There's a line in there where it says something about being inside her. Well, yeah, because when – after he – you know, she's trying to strangle him and and he's like touching her cheek and she horks up all this black – Oh, right. Yeah. She lets it out. I guess from the perspective of Samuel, this is a creature feature, right? Because he knows the Babadook mm. exists and it, it, it's real for him. Um, right. Hmm. That's really interesting. How uh, it must have happened before. How common is it for there to be a horror movie with two such distinctly different perspectives on what's horrifying? Yeah, I'm trying to think of a movie like this that uh, has two points of view. Um, Well, I mean, there's like the bad guy's point of view. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, Dr. Frankenstein, for example. Versus right. the villagers. Yeah, but you don't usually, like, in, I feel like this movie, uh, more so than most, 
gives you a perspective into both points of view, though, throughout. It kind of, without really warning you, it's kind of shifting back and forth mm. uh, to, so that you're, you're kind of, so that the metaphor is not as uh, in your face as it would be if you didn't do that. Yeah, I think this movie has two points of view, but I think we start with the mother, we end up with the kid, because then once we realize the kid was right all along, it shifts because the mother goes into this mental state where mm -hmm. she cannot be trusted anymore. So we need someone to to follow, right? But um, yeah, we we realize she's an unreliable narrator. Uh, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, but um, I mean, so does, every all the movies we always have the point of view of the antagonists, like Batman and Joker, right? We understand why Joker is doing what he's doing. He explains to the audience. Um, but, um, hmm. Oh, okay. So, hmm. <laughs> How do we... If she's an unreliable narrator, then is her perspective the valid one? Yeah. Or I, is Sam's? I feel should like... Should we have been... Oh, is it that the movie tricks us? We should have been following Sam the entire time, but because he's a kid... Right. We don't believe him... I think that's so it. he's right. Yeah, I, that's what I think. I think his is the perspective that is the most valid. Um, yeah. And like the other perspective is essentially perspective of what's going on inside her head. His is a perspective of how he's processing what he's seen. Right. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, then I think we go with what Bernie said, which is creature feature. And the creature is grief well not from his perspective well no not from his perspective it's a it's a big dark monster that makes mommy do bad things right yeah. so it would be mm. i would say grief uh creature and then hmm what would it be <laughs> you know I, I i hate to say this and, and this is uh maybe a stretch but I almost feel like it would be something like, <clears throat> excuse me, something like um, mythological. How explain yeah. this? Explain that to me. I don't follow. <laughs> of course, you. Nobody does. It's my brain. <laughs> How are you supposed to understand? Um, so I think it's not mythological in the sense of religious beliefs, but in the sense of cultural traditions. Okay. So it's the idea that this thing exists and has this folklore like history, even though we, we understand, I think we've interpreted that it was just invented by her, mm -hmm. but it seems like it does have this sort of folklore uh, history of doing this thing where it's, you know, it feeds on the thing, you know, on, on your fear or on whatever it is that's sort of, you're trying to keep repressed and the more you repress it, the stronger it gets until it becomes you. You know what I think it is? What do you think? Boogeyman. Boogeyman? Yeah. Interesting. Because the, the boogeyman is this sort of catch-all for the thing in the dark. The thing, the, the shadowy thing in the corner that is coming to get you. I mean, you're right. Uh, traditionally, it's a boogeyman is something that is used to get kids to behave. Right. Yeah. And and that's obviously in this case, 
very on the nose, <laughs> you know, like, and I think again, from the kid's perspective, like in his mind, it's his fault because he's been bad and what right. he does is wrong and it's made his mom mad and it's created this thing that's come to get him because he's not a good boy. But I agree with you, Brian. I think it's right. It's creature because he thinks it's a creature, but mythological, I think it works because, yeah, it's something larger than life and something that will always exist. So that's myth. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so, true. Yep, yep. So I like that. I, I can I can buy that. Yeah. What do you think, Susan? I know I, I, I like Boogeyman too. I feel I feel like a, a boogeyman is a mythological creature, kind of like a trickster. Like it's it's a it's a it's a form, an like archetype. A right. Yeah. But uh, but we can we can just do straight mythological if you want. Mythological. Sure. I, I I like it. Okay. So is that what we should do? Sure. <laughs> I'm antsy to type it into the spreadsheet. I, I can tell. Friend. <laughs> like, oh boy. All right, let's see. Babadook 2014. It is a creature and it is mythological. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, by the way, our list I had forgotten last time. Our list is up to 1,044 movies. Goodness gracious. Wow. Yeah. We now, haven't course, we haven't watched them. This is just our yeah. just our potentials. Just yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's the list the the database essentially that I uh, created when I was I don't know I had too much time on my hands. I guess I don't I don't know. There's no excuse. I'm actually looking right now at because I have my private list. Of course, I have multi oh multiple God. copies of this spreadsheet and the copy I use to track which movies I've watched. Um, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this. 818 of these movies I've seen. Jeez Louise. But yeah. Brian, you have to think this will be your legacy, right? <laughs> Many years from now, that's where you live behind me. I am A you. spreadsheet. <laughs> I leave, I leave <laughs> behind me not wealth or fame, but a spreadsheet. <laughs> well, maybe you're, you're, you know, your kids will put it in bronze like a... <laughs> I mean, it is very on brand for you. So, um, so I, uh, I, I'm curious, Bernie, what, uh, you, obviously we talked about this at the beginning, uh, killer couch, which, um, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's very, I think it's very funny. Uh, the thing that drew it, uh, drew me to it was the gif of the couch. What is it? Uh, Is it sofa couch? Sofa. Uh, Sofa. I'm sorry. I keep doing that. It's the, uh, it's the, I can't think of the word. It's the nature of the, what is it called when you have two words that start with the same letter? I've suddenly forgotten what that's called. Um, okay, but sofa and couch don't? Uh, no, I mean killer and couch. I know it's not the same Oh, letter. oh, oh, alliteration. Alliteration, thank you. Yeah, okay. It's the alliteration that makes me keep changing. It's killer okay. sofa. It's killer yeah. sofa. But yeah. Um, yeah, killer sofa, there's a gif out there of the sofa uh, of, of I think the lead character looking out a window from like two stories up and the sofa is on the uh, like l- looks like it's been left by the curb and it suddenly leans back and looks at her and it just cracks me up every time I see it. <laughs> it's, it's a great moment. The best moment in the film probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, where is that right now that's available essentially everywhere or what, like where can you catch that movie? Oh yeah. Uh, if you're in America, probably Tubi TV and Amazon Prime and all the Xbox and uh, 
Google Play and uh, Voodoo and everywhere video on demand, it will be there. I think I got you. And uh, are you? Uh, what are you? Are you working on anything right now? What's yeah, your, what's your next I, mean, thing? I was working on a few uh, on a, a sequel to Killer Sofa. Oh, nice! Uh, yeah, Killer City. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do a, like a creature feature, like a sea, a sea creature possessed Ooh. by by a, mixed with the sofa sort of a mutation something crazy really just oh my god this is so great yeah. <laughs> I, I love that so much Macau. but then uh, the covid came and uh, I, I was going to brussels to for uh, to try to pitch this to some investors at a, at a market because the film was accepted to be at biff uh, oh. international fantastic film festival and i was going there to the market but then it all fell through, and and now wow. I'm just doing animation, man. I started playing with Unreal Engine and uh, doing some cool stuff with Blender, and I'm just developing this animated series. I would like to do another horror film. I have some ideas, but we just don't know what what's going to happen. And yeah. I can shoot stuff, and I my brain needs to work like that. I need to to make a timeline and yeah. start organizing things, but things are so uncertain right now that I'm just just doing some animate animations and doing some stuff like that. And and filming with with people safely is yeah. so expensive. Yeah. And it really jacks the cost up of, of anything. So yeah, yeah un, un, until that's that. safe, it's just gonna make it really hard to do anything, I should think. Although here in New Zealand, I, I mean I've been in Australia for a few months, but I'm actually from from New Zealand, that's where we live. In Wellington, uh, yeah, things are pretty good there, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's all these borders closing, and nobody can come in, nobody can go out, and and people are still a bit re- reluctant to go sure. on set, even though I, I shoot with very small crew, you know. Kill the sofa, I had the crew was three people. This is really oh, a wow. film. This is a no wow. budget film, right? But um, it's still, you know, I don't want to put people. You know, if people are not yeah. comfortable, actors are not comfortable. You know, it's it's just not worth it. I think. Yeah. But yeah, you guys are you guys are, are a bit worse. I think in America, you know, <sighs> just a just a hair. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of horror. <laughs> speaking of horror, that's the that's the other thing. I'm, I. Speaking of horror. I'll be curious to see the uh, horror movies that come out of people being stuck in lockdown. Do you know that there have you I'm sorry to interrupt but did you see that uh, uh Michael Bay's already had Yes, had I one? did. Yes, I did. Boy is that on the nose. I think it's a little too soon. It is. But... It's too soon. Too soon. Read the room, Michael. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. to do it so on the nose is bizarre. But anyway. anyway. <laughs> uh Bernie, thank you again for joining us. Where can our listeners find you and your work on the internet. We already covered where they can watch Killer Sofa, but uh, if they would like to follow you and get updates on what you're working on, where can they find you? Cool. They, you can go to my website, BernieRao.com, and you can go find me on Twitter, Killer Sofa, Bernie Rao. Um, I think I'm the only one. And um, Facebook, Bernie Rao. If you Google Bernie Rao, you, I'm easily found. You know, They're watching me. Excellent. <laughs> I, should, I should be more careful I suppose or, but uh. <laughs> Brian yeah. how about you where can, where can the lovely listeners find you uh, they can find me on padandpixel.com 
or on Twitter at Crescenti, that's C-R-E-C-E-N-T-E-B, as in Baba Duke, Duke, Duke. Love that scene. Uh, that's yeah. where you can find me. And you can find me on Twitter at Susan Arndt. Not creative, but it is my name. Uh, on my other podcast where I talk about video games, which is called Continue, or over at GameRant.com where I run the movie and TV section. You can find more Long-Legged Beasties stuff at Patreon.com slash Long-Legged Beasties. If you are a backer, then you get to vote on which movies we do next. When we have a guest on, they offer up a selection of movies and y'all get to choose which one of them we watch. And uh, it's a great power and with it comes great responsibility. And so if the show's not any good, it's your fault because you're voting on the wrong movies. That's how that works. If you would like to be a backer, again, you can go to patreon.com slash longleggedbeasties. If you can't back us financially, it's okay. We totally get that. There are plenty of other ways to support us. You can share links on social media, tell your friends. You can give us a review on iTunes. It's not iTunes anymore. I keep doing that. It's Apple Podcasts or whatever thing. The thing. The place. Thanks. Where you find the stuff to listen to. That thing. Go leave us a review. It really helps with discoverability. Or you can just knock on doors and go door to door and say, hey, have you listened to this wonderful horror movie show? If you do, however, back us uh, at the $10 level, you get a very special thank you on each and every show. And it goes a little something like this. Thank you, lovely human beings. We really, really appreciate it. I said this on Twitter. This is a personal moment. Uh, I said this on, on Twitter, but I want to say it again. If you know me at all, you know how much I love my three dogs. They are central to my life. And my biggest, oldest dog, my best buddy, has a disease that is treatable, thankfully, with very expensive medication. And your contributions help me pay for that. So genuine, genuine and sincere thanks from the bottom of my heart for helping out with that. Special shout out goes to Michael Thomas, my dear friend James Fudge, Joseph Crescenti. What? Who's that guy? <laughs> Elizabeth Richardson, Patrick Markey, Perry Marston, and Josh Nichols. Thank you all very, very much for your continued support. And we will see you next show. Bye. See ya. See ya.